Crest is proud to have De La Salle North Catholic High School as our community partner for this season of the podcast. De La Salle is the most diverse private school in Oregon, offering a college preparatory education exclusively to low-income students, turning no one away because of their inability to pay. Known as a school that works, De La Salle's corporate work-study program has every student work one day a week at Portland-area companies, offsetting 50% of their tuition. The innovative curriculum provides the students with real-world experience, self-confidence, and ownership of their education. When we build stronger, thriving communities, we all benefit. Learn more on how your company can get involved by visiting DeLaSalleNorth.org. Yeah, it turns out it's it's hard to grow in a pandemic. And that's really what we're doing, right? We're, yeah. We have a lot of growing pains that we're working through, not to mention just the human side of things, which I think is probably the, the hardest part of the pandemic is, you know, just keeping everybody calm, keeping them focused, giving them the autonomy they need to to stay focused on their families, to have balance in their life so that they can come to work and, you know, dive in and crush it and then go home and, and do whatever it is, you know, so they they don't take that with them every night and lose sleep, you know, trying to just help the team kind of keep it in perspective. Yeah. You know, what we do and what's going on and what we can control and what we can't control. Welcome to Think Beyond Space, the PDX Workplace Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Blake St. Ange, principal for the Portland office of Cressa, a global corporate real estate firm. From the people, the culture, and their thoughts on the future of work, we sit down with leaders from Portland's most respected companies to learn about what makes their workplaces tick. Subscribe at Cressa.com slash Portland or wherever you find your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Welcome to season two of the podcast. I hope everybody had a great summer. Super excited. This summer, if if you're like me, I'm sure you were driving somewhere in Oregon with something on the top of your car or on the back of your car carrying bikes or gear or whatever. So I'm really excited to have our guest today, uh, Joel Grabenstein, who is the VP of Sales, Brand, and Product Marketing for Yakima Products. Joel, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Good to be here. Appreciate it. So Joel, for those that may not know about Yakima, um, it's, uh, it's not the city in Washington, though it sort of there's some story behind that which we'll get into but um share a little about who you are and and how you got to be the the VP for here and I think you've been it's about 17 years here at Yakima and about the company and yourself and your journey and we'll we'll start from there. Yeah, sure. I am one of those dinosaurs I guess that kind of picked a business and stayed with it these days it seems the the transitions are more um with the young folks but uh <laughs> it's been I think 16 years. I went to school down at Humboldt State in Northern California. Yeah. And the business uh, spent a long time down in that region. So coming out of grad school, joined up with the company, kind of like the overall industry, sort of bridging automotive, outdoor, you know, bike, boat, ski. We always say we can party with anybody. And, you know, came out of the MBA program and was looking for work, decided to stay in the area, uh, took a job with Yakima, did that for a couple of years. And then in the outdoor industry, there's sort of this obligatory ski bum period you mm-hmm. have to do. So I did that for a year. Moved out to Telluride, served my time, and about a year in the mountains, and I I decided to come back to the Northwest where most of my family is and um, moved to Portland. And the business happened to move up into Portland. So I worked my way back into the the marketing team, spent about six or seven years on the marketing side, field marketing, promotional manager, events, trade shows, things like that. Had the chance to pivot over to the product side. So I moved into a product manager role, which led to a category manager role to a category director role, just kind of navigated, you know, product creation and really enjoyed, you know, just bringing new ideas to life, filling unmet needs in the market. And then over time, 
product and marketing sort of came together. And then most recently, you know, right before the, the pandemic hit, um, I took over the sales side as well and moved into this current role. So that's sort of Jeez. my quick history. Um, yeah, it's been a good ride, honestly. I've had lots of good mentors in the space and just a lot of love for the brand and the industry. And again, bridging kind of outdoor and automotive and bike, you know, sure, it's very core to who I am. It's just been been a good ride for sure. Yeah. So did you, so going back from a college standpoint, did you know you wanted to get into product or sales or what What was the focus from a school standpoint? And then and then how did you get the role with, with Yakima? What was that like? Yeah, sure. I, you know, you you know no one really knows what they want to do. I think I was very interested in the outdoor industry. I from, just, the, from the outset. Like, yeah, so from growing the up, were you like an outdoors kid, like skiing or mountain, yep. mountain biking and just like. Yeah, for sure. We, I grew up as a little guy in the Midwest and there, were, there wasn't a lot of mountain biking yeah. and skiing going on. Not yeah. that it doesn't exist out there. I'm not saying that. But when we moved to North Idaho, I really, the outdoors really blew me away. So big rivers, big lakes, you know, more mountains, forests, just more camping, and then eventually skiing and riding and such. So I was pretty, pretty focused on the outdoor industry, but I think I thought it would be in more of the outfitter type space or ecotourism type space, not necessarily in, you know, product creation, um, brand identity type work. I definitely fell in love with the hard goods side of things and creating these tangible, you know, goods that go on vehicles and that I always wanted to get into that product management zone where you're you're looking at the roadmap, you're looking at the unmet needs, you know, reading the insights and then trying to deliver on them. So that was that was certainly part of my angle. I never thought I'd look over sales, um, if I'm honest. Is that- <laughs> um, so, you know, but I have my delusional sales guy moments too. Well, uh, I mean, part of, I would imagine part of like, like you got to know what you're selling, right? And who better to know what you're selling than you, right? Who's been in that product side and know it, like ins and outs of what you, what you guys do and what you create and build and distribute to run that. It helps, you know, it helps to be, I think, not just to have that kind of full understanding. We do have a very complex category, right? There's, you've got to fit things. Someone wants to put a eight foot stand up paddleboard on their Volkswagen bug and go 80 down the freeway. Yeah. Uh, we need to know what we're doing. So yeah. on that side of things, yes, it definitely helped, you know, kind of leaning into the, the that side of things, but also just being a steward of the brand for so long. I think it helped us really think a little less opportunistically and think more about the true opportunity of the brand in the long run versus just, you know, a little bit of sell to whoever is, is interested. We're really been focused on more selective distribution recently and, um, making sure that this brand is here for the next 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. So we're sitting in Yakima's headquarters, which is awesome by the way. And and I appreciate the tour earlier. My pleasure. No clue that, that, I mean, I was asking Joel earlier, um, you know, how many, because what I see from a consumer is I'm driving around the road and I see the bike racks and I see the roof racks, which I own two of. And I'm going, well, how, how many new products are you guys? How many, how many new things are you guys doing? Is there, and you said there's 30 or 40 new SKUs a year that you do. Yeah, it's, it's quite a bit. We've got a, a hell of a roadmap um, from a product standpoint. I think, you know, we're really focused on innovation. Um, we want to be that, that brand in the mix that's willing to, to push the envelope, to attach things to vehicles in new ways. Um, we want to lead on that front. And, 
you know, there's some risk that comes along with it. Our, our primary competitor is a little more conservative, uh, more of a fast follower. That's kind of their stated corporate strategy. So uh, we like to lean in a bit and we've been cranking out a lot of, lot of yeah, interesting I mean, guys, stuff over the past five years, yeah, quite honestly. Keep doing it. Thanks. So in the last 17 years, what have you seen from a growth standpoint from when you started and where, where you guys are now? I mean, well, how many total people, how many total employees do you guys, do you have? We're about a hundred folks in the office here. Okay. Um, and then as we were talking about, we have an office in Brisbane, Australia. We've got an office in Nanjing, China as well. But here looking over North America, Latin America, about a hundred folks in the office. That seems like a, like a small and mighty crew for the amount of stuff that you guys do. We're relatively lean. I think, uh, you know, what we've traditionally said is the brand is bigger than the business. Like, you know, when people call and ask if you want to sponsor a stadium in LA, I usually <laughs> chuckle a little bit because um, yeah. I think they might be looking for some of our neighbors out in Beaverton um, or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty lean, pretty nimble, but growing fast right now. COVID has certainly put some a macro mindset, psychological shift into most consumers' mind. And, you know, we're just trying to help people get outside. We're this middleman catalyst to enable lifestyle, right? Yeah. Whether that's tip of the pyramid, go climb, you know, El Cap, or that's just getting to grandma's house for Thanksgiving. You know, we want yeah. to meet meet those consumers wherever they are and, and provide unique solutions to to solve their problems. That's a good, I mean, I never thought about it that way. That's a good perspective because you do, you have a, you have a product that, that fits all of that, right? Like whether you're putting climbing gear in the top or you're putting sleeping bags up there for your kids to sleep on, you know, the floor in the house. It's yeah. Just, it's all, it's all part of the journey and the the different consumer profiles that we, we look at. And, yeah. you know, for myself, it's interesting to, Sometimes when you self-reflect, like I used to do a lot more, you know, just skiing and riding and paddling with the buddies. And now yeah. I'm more in the adventure family mode, yeah, right? And so totally. the brand and the the portfolio really can, has the versatility to, to move with people as they move through their life and, and continue to solve their, whatever unmet need they is, whatever challenge they have of transporting gear and, and ultimately making room in the car for more humans. Yeah. Do your kids have any idea what you do? Totally. No, they do. They're super interested in it. Um, my son's always got ideas. Um, they love coming to the office. They they definitely do. That they, is not the that is not the response I was actually yeah. I, I was that I was thinking you were gonna have, which is great. Yeah. So I, I think they have a lot of pride yeah. um about it too. You know, they they're into it. They they love the outdoors, right? So when we can go sleep in a rooftop tent, you know, and they know yeah. that I helped bring it to market. Yeah. Um it's cool. It's yeah, fun. That, is, and, and, that is cool. Or we test out new stuff, you know, and they're like, why are we using this, this janky kind of glued together thing, dad? <laughs> and it's because it's an idea that might come to life. So yeah. we're just doing some, doing some user testing. I didn't think about it that way. That is, yeah, that is really unique for them to see that perspective. Yeah. They, they, but they love it. They, they're, yeah. They're and to be able to take, it. bring them here and probably bring them into the shop and totally. sort of show them how things are done. Yep. It's like, Legos for adults. Oh, um, there's a lot, lot, lot to do out there. A lot of things that come together, yeah. different parts, pieces. Uh, again, kind of versatility of the product offering. Yeah. So being in in this, you know, product that you're in, the manufacturing world that you're in, the last eighteen months has just been like brutal, good in one way, but brutal, super challenging in another way. From what we've heard, so. Walk us through what that what that's been like. I mean, if anyone went into any REI or any rack attack or others where where you know your products were sold last summer, I mean, good luck. And you know, this summer, I don't know if it was if it, if it was any any different. But walk us through some of the challenges that you guys had from a leadership team perspective, and you know, keeping the eyes on the prize, but like the patience too from a just supply chain standpoint. 
Yeah, it turns out it's it's hard to grow in a pandemic. And that's really what we're doing, right? We're, yeah. We have a lot of growing pains that we're working through, not to mention just the human side of things, which I think is probably the the hardest part of the pandemic is, you know, just keeping everybody calm, keeping them focused, giving them the autonomy they need to to stay focused on their families, to have balance in their life so that they can come to work and, you know, dive in and crush it and then go home and, and do whatever it is, you know, so they they don't take that with them every night and lose sleep, you know, trying to just help the team kind of keep it in perspective. Yeah. You know, what we do and what's going on and what we can control and what we can't control. Yeah. But it's been chaos. I mean, it's really been crazy <laughs> from, you know, all of retail shutting down early in the pandemic and yeah. signaling back to our uh, supplier base, you know, don't send us anything. We have no retailers open <sighs> to suddenly seeing POs start roll in and yelling back at our supply base, <laughs> turn it on and turn it up. Yeah. And honestly, you know, we've been, we've been chasing since, you know, we call yeah. it an extreme demand scenario. Yeah. We think it's definitely a new high watermark for the brand and the category. We don't see it as peaks and valleys. These are more kind of tectonic shifts that are happening in the marketplace. Wow. So there's, which is nice because, you know, there's no, no concern on our end to open a new factory or invest in new tooling. We don't feel like the demand is going to just disappear overnight and go back to the size that we were. Yeah. So we're really able to to lean in from that front. But when you have customers that are up 75% and you're still getting angry phone calls because we know we're leaving demand on the table, yeah. it's, it's challenging, right? Yeah. Um, you know, they've blown their forecast apart. <laughs> they've doubled it. And yet I'm getting yelled at. I'm yeah, like, like, why am I getting second? yelled at? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, you know, thick skin, keeping the people calm. Right. Like, working with the teams to just keep it in perspective, you know, that we're all kind of going through this at the same time. Yeah. There's certain stuff we can control and, and certain stuff we cannot. So what are the, some of the things that you guys did from a people standpoint? You know, I mean, in like the work environment. I mean, we're in the headquarters. There's about a hundred people here. What yeah. have you guys done to sort of signal back like, Hey, we, we'd like to sort of be together again, uh, when we can, when we can't like, what's sort of that look like? I mean, yeah. this hybrid or all on premise, like what's, what's that been like? <laughs> and then it's obviously there's start, stop, start, stop, start, stop across yeah. the board. You nailed it. I think early on just getting everybody equipped, right? Because we do have a very, uh, familial culture. Yeah, here. it seems like it's it. Just yeah. walking through, it's just, it seems, I mean, yeah. you're getting patted on the back all the time when we were walking by. It's, and you it's just a, lot of, a lot of high fives and hugs. And, yeah. um, you know, we're very close culture. So we're concerned, right? We're concerned about losing that water cooler around the whiteboard ping camaraderie. Pong table, on the ping pong table. Ping pong table, and, yeah. You know, uh, kegerator, patio, you yeah. know, a lot of things get solved around those different features. But Early on, obviously getting people armed with technology to work remote. Yeah. Um, but then, as you said, we were in Clackamas County. So we were on a little bit different cadence than some of Multnomah County, yep. technically. And we have a huge space here, you know, about 95,000 square feet. And so we were able to keep the office open for those that wanted to use the office. So if you work better in the office environment, you're w welcome to come in. You just have to follow the rules, right? You have to yeah. live within the box. And yeah. That was sometimes masks, that was sometimes not masks, depending on what was going on at the, the local, state, national level. Yeah. Uh, from there, 
we started moving towards one day back in the office, you know, so everybody in on Wednesdays. Let's just, and this was really through the summer months. We just wanted one day where we had most everybody here. Yeah. Um, it's kind of pre-surge of the Delta, right? So that was a nice start. And then we had to pivot again. Yeah. And so where we are right now is, you know, we're asking our team members to, to be in the office two days a week, find 16 hours a week where you make your way in and you can connect with people and you can sit in those key, you know, collaborative meetings that you need yeah. to have uh, to work through the challenges, right? Because when I think you're growing like we're growing, all our challenges are new challenges. They're not ones that we've had to face in the past. They're right. not the simple, like we can do this with our eyes closed. We've been right. through this before. Right. Everything's new on that front. So I think, you know, and then a lot of Zoom and Zoom happy hours and, yeah. you know, whatever we had to do to try to stay connected uh, through it all. So we'll, we'll see what's next, but we've we've committed to, you know, asking everyone to find two days a week yeah. into the office through the end of the year. And then we'll sort of reassess depending on what the role is. How often does the leadership team communicate? Like, do you guys have weekly meetings? Do you have biweekly meetings? And then how often do you guys communicate out to sort of the, the larger, the larger group? Yeah. Just curious. Cause no, it's, it's a great question. So many changes all, I mean. So through the pandemic, Ryan Martin, our CEO was doing a video a week. So every Friday you get a video. It could be two minutes. Yeah. Um, it could be, you know, random content, or it could be a 20 minute video that was pretty deep in, you know, where we are and how we're working through the challenges and what the numbers look like, et cetera. And so he was that, doing that weekly. Weekly. Um, that I think really helped us yeah, through 2020. Yeah. And was above and beyond, honestly. That's, in, I mean, that, yeah, that's incredible. Um, and he, uh, I think he had to get pretty creative towards the end, but he did a good job <laughs> with doing that. We meet um, twice a month as an exec team. We're a team of four yeah. on the exec side. So Ryan Martin is CEO, Sandy Lenahan's our CFO, and then Chris Sauter heads up uh, operations, procurement, product development, like we discussed. And then yeah. I've got the, the market facing side. Yeah. So, we meet twice a week for a few hours and really kind of hash through. And then that trickles down into the functional leaders. And that's really the way it's intended to be set up. Um, Ryan is a, a believer in, you know, functional area responsibility mm -hmm. and, and driving it down into your groups. Mm -hmm. um, so we meet as a group and then it just kind of cascades through the organization. Yeah, and you're responsible there. for your, your particular Yep, make sure that. those that need to know are, are looped in on, yeah. on where we're going and what the challenges are and, and how we're going to navigate them together. Yeah. So you mentioned customer increase by 75%. Was that what it was? Some I mean, them, somewhere in there? Yeah, the category is growing at an extraordinarily fast rate, so, like faster than it has in 40 years. So most, of, like, even when I talked to the competition, you know, I was just down at a, a new store opening in Arizona and some of our competitors are there. And it's a funny thing right now because there's so much business that none of us can really keep up with demand. Yeah. So you're just a little less competitive. Yeah, you're like, you know, oh, you're yeah, like well, yeah, you can't fulfill it, we can't. Yeah. <laughs> or you can't fulfill it, well, we can't either. Oh, you can't either, okay, so, so you're all in the- So we've got customers all over the place. Yeah. Um, we've had to, you know, put in new ways that we think about allocation and really it's at 21, some of our biggest challenge, just who's gonna get the goods. And so we've had to decide on what the criteria and and how we would drive down to that in the most fair and equitable way that we can. And then we'll continue to evolve as as things evolve on on the allocation side. That's one of our biggest. Yeah, it's not an issue, but um, one of the new challenges that we have to work through. With with the challenges of supply chain, has there been any? 
I'm sure there's been some discussion about onshoring some of the manufacturing. Has that been, is that a discussion that you guys are having at the leadership level? Like, hey, what if we had, I mean, you've got something in Riverside and then you've got something in Memphis. Are those, are those just DCs? Those aren't actually manufacturing facilities? All our boxes come out of California. Okay. So cargo boxes are thermoformed. It's okay. a pretty unique core competency. And yeah. You wouldn't want to ship those across the globe. We do some kitting down there too. Uh, yeah, it's it's always discussion, right? With when when freight costs are what they are, as labor costs and shifts are taking place, yeah. you know, steel, aluminum, corrugate, glue, everything, everything. through yeah. the roof from a cost standpoint, you have to step back and, and look at it. You know, we are Taiwanese owned by a, a family out of Taiwan, the Lin family. So with that in mind, uh, we've got several factories and we're building another factory in Asia. So that is certainly a factor as we just think about yeah. where we're going to be. Yeah. But it's an open dialogue about the global operating footprint right. and what makes the most sense for the future and what will put the brand in the best position in the long run. Yeah. And so uh, from a growth standpoint, not maybe not percentage-wise, but people-wise, have you guys grown people-wise in the last year? Or has it been mainly just you guys are, you know, the small and scrappy team yeah. to just go and, and get it done with what you have? Yeah, good question. I think the people growth is really happening right now. I think through, you know, again, the macro effect of all this on the labor pool, we brought in new people, but we've had attrition too, right? Folks are making different decisions about what they value, where they want to live, how much money they want to make, what industry they want to be in, mm -hmm. if they want to be fully remote. So there's just been some coming and going. So through all that, we probably remained fairly level around that hundred, but yeah. we're, I'm opening up four jobs soon. So we're, we're definitely yeah. uh, in hiring mode now. Yeah. Yeah. The history of we were talking before the you know for this in terms of the history of Yakima. It's just it's I don't know. It's pretty incredible history that that it seems almost a little bit like happenstance to be honest with you. I mean, from what you were mentioning, from you know an inventor basically up in Yakima, Washington, to to what you call a couple river rats that went and got it to, to what it is today. Yeah, it's a cool story. You know, I think like many of the OG brands in the outdoor industry, the yeah. Patagonias and Black Diamonds of the world. It's you know people that were just looking to to solve something for themselves but you know prior to that yeah gentleman up in yakima so we're we're talking like 19, mid 70s here uh he's the the patent holder for the telescoping music stand that everybody had in middle school but was just an inventor right he had this big shop and he was just that type of guy the innovator right yeah. he also invented these kayak foot braces so for those paddlers out there you need a place to you know be able to have leverage inside of your cockpit and then being from yakima he also saw a lot of people transporting these giant orchard ladder racks and he figured out a way to set up some some crossbars on a vehicle couple guys in Northern California, uh, Don Banducci and Steve Cole, decided to go up there and acquire it. They were really more interested in the braces, in the foot braces. They really thought that was maybe the gold mine. And upon you know further reflection, I think realized that the opportunity was, was in the roof rack space. So yeah. business was in Northern California from 1979 until about 2005. Original founders or owners you know, passed it on probably decade or so into it. And, you know, we've been in different portfolios with the likes of the Camelbacks and Whammo Frisbees and Dagger Kayaks and Perception and, you know, just passed some hands yeah. uh, before our, our current owners, the, the Lynn family in, yeah. in about the, the last decade or so. Wow. That's yeah. Well, it's incredible. Like, it's a good case story. study. Yeah. There's definitely a good case study yeah. there. I, I may write it, you know, that, that may be my, um, 
retirement. Yeah. So I'll just write the, the case study on, on Yakima <laughs> and try and sell it to the Harvard Business School or something. I think, you know, I think you have some success with that. <laughs> um, so if you could have uh, coffee or whiskey or any sort of drink with someone past or present, who, who would that be for you and, and why? Yeah, I'll do one of each. I'll do a, a present and, and a past maybe. Yeah. Um, I think I'm a big soccer player, so I'm big. Liverpool's my team, um, right. and I'm a big fan of Jurgen Klopp. So Jurgen Klopp's this six foot German coach, who's the most lovable, charismatic leader you can envision. Um, I think for me, you know, my emphasis in in grad school was management, and I, I draw a lot from soccer. Yeah, you know, the team mentality, the having a bench of players, yeah. um, even having competition within your own team to to fuel getting the best out of yep. everybody. Right. Um, I think, you know, for me, I'm I'm not the biggest guy, so I always felt like my role in, in soccer was to get the most out of everyone around me. And Klopp just sort of epitomizes that. Yeah. He's just this big, charismatic, always hugging his players, just a lot of lot of love which is sort of weird for a german guy yeah, yeah um, no, always no smiling yeah know? yeah um so i would and i'd love to sit down with that guy and just talk about leadership yeah and then maybe a past um i also i think draw a lot from the native cultures so i'd, I'd say like sitting bowl or something like that you know yeah. something a little more heady a little more philosophical yeah um you know i was always drawn to the native Sioux culture and yeah, I just think someone like that would be would be really interesting. I don't know what we would drink. I don't think it would be whiskey. No, um, maybe some. I don't know. Maybe something from corn. We'll it see. Could, it could be from that. You know. Yeah, but just yeah, two you different worlds. Very, be, very different. different. From different, Premier League yeah. to uh, to Lakota to, Sioux. Yeah. Wow, that would be a really really interesting cross section. And then maybe the three of you guys could get together, and that and and maybe that would be. Uh, you know, I think there's something there. There would be good. So, Joel, uh, where can people find more about you and more about Yakima? I mean, I'm on the normal LinkedIn. I'm not very good at LinkedIn. I think probably because I'm pretty happy with my job. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I don't want people to think elsewise. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm out there. But, um, you know, Yakima, obviously, you can find us on the web. And we're here in Lake Oswego. So a lot of people, even locally, don't, don't know that the yeah. business is here. We've been here for you know, 15 or so years now. We used to be out in Beaverton, um, essentially on Nike's campus yeah. um, before they continued to, to expand the berm, if you will. Yeah. Um, and and now we're right here on Cruise Way in, in Lake Oswego and, and happy to be in, in Oregon and be in the Northwest. Yeah, and different from most buildings on Lake, Lake Oswego, you guys have a, a vast green field between the road and your building. And I mean, it's just, it's very different from most of what, you know, people will see when they, yeah, it's a nice space. Do you guys um, get any soccer fields actually? We don't. We don't. You know, I try not to bring my own. You know, you need to channel your who you're going to have a drink with, and <laughs> you know, get a get a field out there and get a game going. It'd be good. We have um, on and off. There's some some folks here who played, so we put together an indoor team here or there oh, that's just fun. to blow some steam off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're there's a lot of financial centers and mortgage business and brokers out here on yeah. Cruise Way. Yeah. So we are a little bit different. You know, when you see the logo and you yeah. see some of the um, the look and feel of the building. Yeah. You flip the script. Yeah. Well, Joel, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to, you know, show me around and then, you know, just to share the time and uh, yeah, really appreciate it, man. Thanks yeah. Same, yes. same. Um, yeah. Appreciate you guys coming out and, and showing an interest in the brand and, you know, hanging out for a bit here as well. 
Thank you for listening to Think Beyond Space, the PDX Workplace Insider Podcast. To follow along and get additional insights from each episode, visit cressa.com slash Portland. Please also take a minute to rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.